0: listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. This morning, I'm going to just reveal my cards right from the front. I'm going to give you the lessons that we're, I believe we see from this text here in Daniel chapter 8. You're going to see it right off. And, and so here it is. I encourage you to write this down, and then we're going to work through, and we're going to see this. First of all, God's word is reliable. History proves it. God's word is reliable, and history will prove it. And we'll see it is proving it, has has proven it to be true, and will continue to do so. Second of all, God's word is trustworthy. We must believe it. We must obey it. We must cling to the word of God because it's trustworthy. And thirdly, God's word is clear about the future. Therefore, we must prepare for it. God's word is very clear about what is to come, and we need to prepare for it, check our hearts. One of the things that we're committed to here at Harvest Kelowna is expository preaching where we desire to honor the word of God high and above any preacher, any theologian, any denomination. We honor the word of God, and so as we do that, we love to work through books of the Bible or or certain passages in in chunks. We like to work through those verse by verse and be able to see what God's word um, was saying in the original to the Original audience—that's part of the context that we must do when we study the Word of God. The original audience, the setting that it was written in, but then how that now those truths for them back then, how that applies to our lives today, and that's vital. That's important that we do that, that um, because you can go off and get derailed rather quickly when it's well. I think well, no. It's what did what did the author say? What did the Holy Spirit? How did He inspire the uh, writers of Scripture to be able to write these truths? And what was the message for them then? What's the message for us today? And that's where we ask the Holy Spirit to give us the message that we are to take from this. And I believe so clearly, it's just interesting, my parents are visiting, and I told my dad we are um, in Daniel 8, and and he looked at that passage, and he asked me a little bit later, he says, what in the world are you going to preach on from there? And I'm like, I know, it's not easy at times, but this is one of the things about going through Daniel chapter 8, and then you end up just seeing, I've got so much information, we could be here till 2 in the afternoon. And uh, so who's in for that? Anyone? Uh, Okay, we we have a few takers, well, um, uh, the rest of you can leave now, if you want. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Anyways, uh, one of the things about expository preaching too is that it forces us to grapple with difficult texts, different, difficult issues in the word of God and it doesn't mean it doesn't allow us to simply ignore the, the difficult things. No topical preacher in, in, in his right mind is ever going to say oh I think I'm going to teach uh, topically from Daniel chapter 8 this Sunday. You're just not going to do it. But when you're working through the entire book and I told you last week I almost bailed at the end of chapter 6 and thought let's go on to something else because chapter 7 to 12 is very interesting and uh, there, there's a lot of work that is required to understand and to grasp these truths from the Word of God. But there's such an important message from God's Word and we, we can't miss it. We can't miss it. And also, it, it's all because of 2 Timothy 3.16. And folks, we believe this. All Scripture. What's the first word? You repeat it. What's the first word? All. all. So what does that mean? Okay, so all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And, and, and so we're going to even see that here in, in Daniel chapter 8. And Daniel chapter 8 works in beautifully with the entire theme of the book so far that we are seeing in the book of Daniel is that God is large and what? God is large and in charge. charge. Right, you've got it. And, and, and we see that throughout the theme of the book of Daniel. We see it throughout the, the, the word of God. And, and if you've been walking with God over the years, you can even declare that in your own life as well, that God is large and in charge. He takes difficult confusion using hard circumstances wherever you're at today and as we trust him and as we continue to press into his word and we continue to pray and seek him we will see that God will lead us out he will lead us through he will be with us he doesn't lead us around the storms he doesn't lead us around difficulties and hardships and trials he takes us through them but we're not alone and so many can give that testimony here today. And so wherever you're at today, just remember God is large and in charge. If God knows the big events of this world, and we're going to see that, God is very much aware of the big events that are going on, that have gone on. He's called it. He's, he's prophesied. We have it in, in the word of God. If he cares about the big events and what's going on in the world, right down to the fine detail as we're going to see. Because, again, this Bible prophecy stuff is just amazing. It is just amazing. You see the specific ways that God's word just comes alive and how God gives us the details Hundreds of years before they even happen, if God knows the big details in fine or the big events in fine details, God has a way of taking the little details of our life and caring about them in a big way. That's our God. That that's we can trust Him, and He will will, will lead us and guide us through that. In in Daniel chapter eight, God gives Daniel a vision. He gives him a very vivid picture. He he gets a movie played before him, and this is in three D. This is in in in, in probably four D for him. I mean, this is a vivid picture of the future world, the world that is to come. Not just upcoming kingdoms that did happen and and, and have happened, but the ultimate. Um, throw down of Satan um, and and the reign of our God. And and he gets this vision as we see a foreshadowing. We get to see what is pointing to the Antichrist who is yet to come. Daniel 8 not only points to the future of this individual, uh, but also describes um, to us some others that will come along and show us the character of what Antichrist is going to be like. So today we're going to get some incredible snapshots by looking at some historical figures. Uh, Men, rulers, evil people who actually lived who are going to give us a snapshot and understanding of what the antichrist who is yet to come is going to be like how Antichrist can be identified. And so this is why we need to know these kind of things in the word of God. This is why we keep one eye in the word and one eye in the news and in the world. And then also to then we turn both eyes and say, okay, God, how's my heart? And we examine our own hearts in light of this. John Calvin said it well. He said, the faithful were informed beforehand of these grievous and oppressive calamities to induce them to look up to God when oppressed by such extreme darkness. This is why God has given to us these words of truth, these words of what's coming, because in and through it still, we get to see that God is large and in charge. And when one looks at Bible prophecy, first of all, you approach it with great humility, because there's so many, uh, there's such clarity, and yet there's also a lot of of clouds of fogginess, of trying to understand. There's there's information, there are details that are veiled for us that we don't fully know the exact details. So there's humility when we go through uh, and, and look at the word of God in relationship to Bible prophecy. But Bible prophecy is, is, is there to give us an understanding of what is to come, but also the hope that we can rest in. And so, folks, God informs us by his word, and, uh, and I trust that as we look even at the chaos of our world, the chaos and the darkness of an ever-darkening world, I mean, just continue to watch the news and you just shake your head and say, that can't be possible, that can't be possible. If we would go back to 10 years and be able to see the headlights, headlines in the news today, we'd say, no way, no way, no way, no way. I mean, first of all, it would be, no way, Trump is president, no way, no way, no way, you wouldn't see that. But then a lot of the other things that have been going on in just such a detrimental and such a chaotic and a, uh, you know just, just terrible, ungodly way. We would say there's no way, and yet it's happening. But God's word gives us hope. And so even from this, we just see God's word is reliable. History proves it. God's word is trustworthy. We must believe it. We must obey it, and we must cling to it. And God's word is clear about the future, so we must prepare for it. So with that in mind, we're going to dig into this passage we're getting there in just a moment. Some of you might just even be sitting here and say, blah, 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 don't need to know this. Is this really important? What's the big deal? You know, I, I'm, I'm of the, what we talked about last week, you know, I'm of the pan view. I'm not a post, I'm not a pre, I'm not a mid, I'm not, I'm the pan view. It's all going to pan out in the end, so I'm just going to live my life, and whatever happens, you know, I'll, 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 I'll just let it happen. But, but that's wrong. You can't do that as a believer in Christ, because in the word of God, we are reminded, we are commanded at least 50 times, including by Jesus himself, when he said, Be ready. Be ready, be watchful, be aware of what's going on. And so again, one eye eye on the world, what's going on, an eye in scripture, and then we also examine our hearts. Remember last week, we took a look at this picture. And again, this just gives us an understanding, a picture from Knox Mountain that I took with this different settings on my phone. And the first one is so often, the top one is how we often live our lives. We live in this little square box. And we just live in the here and the now. And, and then, you know, and sometimes we kind of, you know, we, we push the envelope and we live a little bit wider. We, you know, take a little bit greater view of, of life and, and, and different things. And, and, and this is so much to, you know, the camera settings and in how we view our lives and at times how we even view the word of God. It's like, I just need something here for today. Just, just some truth, some power, some strength, some, some go-to verse for today. And, and, and then sometimes we expand it out a little bit. But here, through Bible prophecy, and what God wants us to do is to look back and see his faithful and see one side, but also to see the other side and get this panoramic view. And that's what Bible prophecy, that's what the word of God calls us to do, to not live these small little in the box square moments of our lives through the here and now, but to see the big picture and then align our lives accordingly to how God is calling us to live as his children. And so that's just an important kind of reminder uh, for us in why we are doing this and why it's so important. And remember, as I said last week, how world events can happen and change, keep one eye on news events and in the world, keep it in the word of God, and we talked about how the Koreas, uh, you know, just coming together, North and South Korea, boom, like, where did that happen? I mean, again, a few months ago, you would have said, never, 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 you know, and, and now you see, you know, this little love-in with uh, uh, the leaders of those countries, and you think, whoa, what's going on? And and, and again, s- countries can rise up, and they can, can, can come together, they can fall apart, things can happen. Remember last week, we were talking about the 10 toes from the statue uh, in, in Daniel chapter 2, and then... And we also talked about the 10 horns in the, with the beast in in Daniel chapter 7 last week and 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 what the horn and what the toes these 10 horns and these 10 Toes speak of and you say, I don't know what you're talking about. You're just going to have to go back and read the Bible. And you're going to also have to listen to these messages because hopefully then it will make some sense to you. But what we see in Bible prophecy is a revival, a renewal of the Roman Empire, which is in Europe. The the European, uh, these European countries, we're going to see this revival, which is the old Roman Empire. And it's going to be a ten-nation coming together of the nations. And, and so a lot of times people say, well, that's the EU. Yeah, it would make sense. But when you go and look and do a Google search and see how many, churches, how many countries are in the EU, well, it's 27. You think, got lots of time because it's got to come down to 10 before a lot of these events end up happening. And then this got sent to me this week. Take a look at this article. Have any of you seen this? Are you aware of this yet? It's, it's amazing. Here, the, the president of, of France is calling together, and, and uh, he ends up calling it the impatient coalition. He's pulling together 10 nations. How many to revive the Roman Empire? Ten. He's calling 10 nations to be able to, to gather together. They're going to sign an agreement in, in June that will work towards aligning together for military action as well as humanitarian uh, needs and that that arrive in that area. And, and to, to, to come together in, in the world in, in dealing with trouble spots. And it goes on areas that may require intervention and work to coordinate their forces for future operations. Interesting, will it become of something? I don't know, but it's just pretty amazing: one eye in the word, one eye in the news. We need to be informed and, 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 and eyes then examine, examining our hearts. So, so we need to be aware that these things are happening. And so today, as we're in Daniel 8, there's a lot of complex content that we're going to be working through, and I need you to be dialed in. Are you awake? Are you awake? Are you ready to go on this? I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, "I'm ready to go. Are you ready to go?" Ready to go. Okay, ready to go. Now turn to, turn to the other side and say that even if it's to the wall you say it to the wall you say wall I'm ready to go. Are you ready to go? Let's get in this. And so we're going to dig into the word of God. In Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar, now we're into the book of Daniel here, just a quick recap. Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that involved a statue made of various metals, each section representing a world ruling empire. And all of those four empires that were represented happened and and came into being. And, And last week in Daniel 7, we saw that these four empires that Daniel had a dream were represented by some beasts or some animals. And we worked through that last week of of what that means. And and, and these are parallel kind of uh, kingdoms and and information. And isn't it so interesting that man sees the kingdoms of this world as a glorious, beautiful statue made of gold and silver and bronze and just so beautiful. And God sees the kingdoms of this world as, uh, as beastly, as savage, savage Uh, beasts uh, are concerned. And so it's just interesting to get that. But today now in Daniel 8, we're going to zoom in further. We're going to look at uh, two of these empires, the the Medo-Persian Empire and the Grecian Empire. And we're going to focus in specifically on two leaders who are uh, markedly uh, give us a a very good foreshadowing of Antichrist. And, and, And they're represented by a ram which represents the Medo-Persian Empire and the goat. So we're going to zoom in and we're going to take a look at Daniel's vision that he receives here from God to let him know. And then we're going to even dig into something called the little horn in a little bit as well that will rise up out of this. And so God is giving Daniel this vision years before these events would even happen. Babylon was was still getting along quite well as a world ruling empire, but now he has this vision that things are about to change. And this is what proves to us and reminds us that God's word that is reliable and history is going to prove it. And we're going to see that. So let's start here in verse one, as we dig in here. Verse one, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at first. So this is approximately two years after chapter seven has taken Place. What we talked about last year, approximately two years have taken place. Verse 2, and I saw in the vision, and when I saw, and what I saw, when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Eli Canal. So this is interesting. He's given this vision from God, and that vision takes him 230 miles east of Babylon to a small and ins- insignificant region, a town that is in modern-day Iran, and he's taken to a citadel and a palace. Well, there is no citadel and palace there. It's nothing. There's a canal. There's a river. There's, there's virtually nothing going there at that time, but he's taken there in this vision, and he's in the palace, and he's in this glorious city, and, and it's in a, in a place called Susa. Small insignificant town in, in Daniel's day. It's kind of like Kamloops, you know? I haven't picked on Kamloops for a while. You know, small, insignificant, not much to it. You know, a river runs through it, and that's about it. You know, who would live in Kamloops? I mean, who would live in Susa, you know? And, and, and let alone a palace. Why would there ever be a palace there? And However, within a few decades, the Medo-Persian Empire would take over, and wouldn't you know, that would become the royal city for that empire? That would be the place where the palace would be. Again, this is something that Daniel saw years before it happened. And it happened again. Just to, Again, we see how history shows us that God's word is reliable. And, and, and what do we know about this? This is a working of God. This is what God was doing. And so, verse 3. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, I saw a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high. But one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up Last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could, could rescue who he could rescue from his who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased, and he became great. And so, the, rep, the ram represents the Greco-Roman empire that defeated the Babylonians for 14 years after this vision. Now, it says it has two horns, and even as you see in the picture there, it's kind of a little offset. There's one horn that's longer than the other. Now, horns, as we see here in, in God's word, are a symbol of strength, a symbol of power, a symbol of authority, and, 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 and that's what they symbolize for in this story here, as well as actually even out in the animal kingdom. The horns are used to defend and horns are used to attack. And it's really quite amazing. We just want to show you these couple of videos of uh, some, what horns can do on some rams. Take a look at this. It's like, oh, that hurt. Show that one again. Like that happened so quick. Some, some people are snoozing already probably. There. All right. And there's another one too to follow this one up. You just love that the way they're just stunned afterwards, and that wasn't put on pause. They just stand there, just dazed for a little bit, you know. And but horns are what used to defend, and, and horns are used to attack, and so that's why we have this biblical language here when it comes to to, to these horns. But it says here in this passage that that one horn, one horn was longer than the other, and one came up afterwards, and so this long horn grew up after the other horn had already started to to uh, raise itself up. And again, what is it? The Medo-Persian Empire. We've talked about this before. It was a coalition kingdom between the Medes and the Persians. And when they first started out as, as, as a coalition, the Medes were stronger. But then over time, the, the Persians gathered more strength and became the dominant uh, coalition force there in that coalition. And so, so again, all of this Daniel saw it, and it ended up happening that the Persians were stronger than the Medes. And, and so we see, hence, a longer horn than the other. And, and folks, this has all happened. I mean, Daniel saw it in a vision, and it ended up taking place. You want to know something else? And this is just crazy. So you know how various countries have different animals that represent the nation, the country. I mean, the national you know, symbol of, of uh, uh, the USA, what is it? Anyone know? It's the bald eagle, yeah. Australia? Kangaroo, of course. In Russia? A bear, yeah. In Canada? A beaver. Yeah, the mighty beaver, you know. And, you know, and, and I know that anyone from Saskatchewan or Rough Rider fans are probably thinking it should be Gainer the Gopher should be the national you know, animal symbol of Canada, you know. And it's like, really? A beaver? That's the best we could come up with? You know, and, and, but okay, but this is cool. Okay, so, so excavations... From this period of time, it reveals to us that a ram was used as a symbol for this country. You say, well, they went ahead and they read this. No, they didn't because this was written in Hebrew and they didn't read Hebrew. This was for the Hebrew people. This part of the book of Daniel was written for the Hebrews. And yes, it was for Daniel. We'll see later on was to share this information. But these ungodly pagan Empires. there was no way they were going to be, oh, is that what Daniel had a dream of, some Daniel? You know, no, I mean, this is crazy. Anyway, their animal, that their king would go on parade with a big golden ram's head out in public. It was the symbol of their country. They, the soldiers would go into, into war, and they would have the emblem uh, sewn on their outfits, on, on their clothing, the head of a ram. It's just crazy that, again, God's word called it, He saw it long before it even happened because God's word is just amazing. So, okay, let's continue on. Uh, As I was considering, this is verse 5, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which i had seen standing on the bank of of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns and the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one that could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great. So what do we have now? We have the the goat taking out the ram. And he's coming across just, I mean, and what did we talk about last week? He, it talks about how he, he came along without touching the ground. This was a symbol of speed, of stealth kind of strength. And, 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 and this was speed upon speed. Remember last week, the symbol of the Greek empire was the leopard along with the wings on it. That again, just tell, uh, just declares to us that, that this kingdom was one of speed and strength and great agility. Now, this is crazy because the goat, if we go to that uh, picture of the statues, if you can put that one up, and, and we see that this Greek Empire, one to the next one. And the next one. There we go. Perfect. And so here we have the goat is a representation. It's from the Grecian Empire. And who was the leader of that? Who was the, the conquering empire leader? It was none other than Alexander the Great. And so Alexander the Great is described here as um, the goat that is coming in. And, and again, this is crazy. History books tell us that Alexander the Great attacked the Medes and the Persians in 334 BC in an unprovoked attack coming across a river. Again, Daniel saw this. Yeah, I saw that. I I saw all of that. Saw the goat coming and attacking the ram. He had 35,000 troops, far less than what the Persians had at the time. But as historians say, he expressed an abnormal strength and defeated the Persians in short order and became the world-dominating empire. In just about 10 years, it took Alexander the Great to conquer the known world. He was a military genius. Some say he was the greatest military leader of all time. And it's kind of funny, now in terminology that gets used in urban dictionaries and slang today, you could call Alexander the goat, the goat of all times. Because what does goat mean in urban, in slang language? Goat means greatest of all time. And, and oftentimes, athletes will refer to other, you know, or athletes will be referred to that. I think LeBron James referred to himself as that. And, and, and the only thing that he would be the goat of is his own ego. And, and, and you know, and so it, it's pretty amazing that the goat that Alexander was even already given uh, by many who have studied military maneuvers, the Title of being the greatest military leader, one of the greatest military geniuses of all time. He crushed the enemy and took over the known world with a fast, incredible, effective, and world-dominating forward movement. He was so arrogant that there was some history, uh, records would record that he would make his army commanders prostrate themselves on the ground, When he came walking into the room. He is the first false leader. That the spirit of God wants us to see here. In this vision though. Of the antichrist that is to come. The ultimate false messiah. The the antichrist that will one day. Be here on this earth. And Alexander the great shows us. Some of the power and the strength. And the swiftness by which. The antichrist will take over the world. With the comprehensiveness of his conquering. He will subdue the whole world just in the same way that Alexander the Great did. And so we get a foreshadowing here, and we'll see more of this in a few moments. Then the goat, it says, verse 8, became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. You remember we talked last week what happened to Alexander the Great? Age 33, or just shy of his 33rd birthday. He was sad, he was depressed, he had conquered the world. There was nothing more for him to do, and he was saddened by this. He was such a goer, and there's no other kingdoms to take over. There's no other lands to to conquer. And so he turned to alcohol. He he, he died a drunk and died of a sickness, no doubt related, they believe, to his alcohol lifestyle. The goat was suddenly broken. Look at the last part of verse 8. It says, and instead of it, there came up from four conspicuous horns, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land, which means Jerusalem. His kingdom was divided among four generals, Alexander the Great, and there we see the name of the four generals. And the one that we're going to focus in today is from the Seleucus uh, Empire, and and. uh, one who ended up becoming the ruler of that—that that now God's word focuses in on—and that we're going to see here was that of Antiochus Epiphanes, who lived, uh, who reigned from, or lived from 175 to 164, or his reign was during that time. He's referred to here as the little horn, meaning he came up out of really nothingness. There was no plan. Remember last week we talked how there was no plan for succession because you know Alexander the Great wasn't going to die at age 33. No one saw that coming, and so the land got divided up. It kind of came out of nowhere, and in the end, Antiochus. Uh, Epiphanes ended up becoming uh, a world ruler and ended up becoming greater than all of the others. And so we're going to get a little picture of this individual in the verses to follow. And so we're going to read about what he did. Verse 10, it grew great, even to the host of heaven. And some of the host and some of the stars, it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. This is believed to be a mention, a reference to the Jewish people, to God's chosen people. It became great, even as a great as the prince of the host, and it it became great, even as the prince of the host. And with regular burnt offerings was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is this vision concerning the regular burnt offerings, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2300 evenings and and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. You're listening It's like, Huh? What is going on here? What's taking place? What are they talking about? You see, God revealed this all to Daniel hundreds of years before this happened. And once again, history verifies that each one of these things took place. Again, remember it says the little horn, Antichus, did all of this. As Alexander showed us the swiftness and the speed by which the Antichrist will take over the world and, and, and will have a one world empire, Antichus shows us the personality that the murderous Antichrist will one day have, and we get a snapshot of the Antichrist here in Antichus. He evoked brutal suppression upon the Jews, and that's what it says when he struck uh, he threw down the stars of heaven. These are God's people. He halted Jewish worship in the temple and in life, in, in life in general. Some of the things that I read about this week, I'm not even going to describe here because it was just so sick and so unbelievable what he did to God's chosen people. He replaced the Jewish festivals with Greek festivals and parties. I found this interesting. One of the festivals that and, and gods that he, he, he forced the people to worship was the, was the festival in the God of Bacchus. I can give you the spelling if you're interested. You can research it on your own. But you know what that is the God of? The God of pleasure and wine. I thought, how interesting. A God, who would worship a God of pleasure and wine? Okanagan on steroids. Hey? I mean, it, it, I mean, we don't even have to be told to do that. I mean, it's just happening, right? But when I read that, I as a are we fallen for this today? Examine our lives. What do we treasure? What do we worship? Is it Jesus or is it pleasure? Is it things? Wine, possessions, materialistic gatherings of things? And it's Antichus is history revealed, and as this passage tells us, he put to death anyone that violated his commands. Copies of the word of God were thrown down. He burnt the word of God. He destroyed it. As I said, he defiled the sanctuary. He demanded 100% cultural and religious conformity. In one rampage, he killed 100,000 Jews in, in, one, in one fight, in one kind of battle that, that he went into. It says in verse 11, it says, it, he, it became great, referring to this horn. The King James Version said, he magnified himself. In other words, he set himself up as God. And I love this again, what history shows, archaeology from these days have uncovered coins Uh, As of in, I think, 1970, they had found 126 of these coins and probably found more since that. And it is a picture of his face stamped on these coins. And you know what it says underneath it? It says, God manifest. He set himself up as God. So you go to buy some milk and some bread and you're pulling out a coin from your pocket and you're reminded that Antichrist is God Manifest. What does God's word tell us that Antichrist will do? He will set himself up to be worshipped as God. Again, we get a picture, we get a snapshot of this. We see in history that propels us to look forward to the reign and the rule of terror that will come upon this earth. We'll probably look in the coming weeks a little bit more into this as in the book of Daniel this is revisited a number of times to help God's people understand this. But let's continue reading in verse 15. It says, When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and, and, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. And so he came near and near where I stood. And he came, and I was frightened, and I fell on my face. And he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. It's the end of time. So this is for the end of time. And when he spoke to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. He said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation. For it refers to the appointed time of the end as for the ram that you saw the two horns these are the kings of the medes and persians and the goat is the king of the king of greece and the great horn between his eyes is the first king and for the horn that was broken in place of which four others arose four kingdoms shall rise from this nation but not with his power and so here daniel is given this incredible interpretation and understanding here of What is to take place? And who is the one that gives him the interpretation? Gabriel himself. One of the archangels. And again, we'll see him next week. He comes to Daniel and gives him the interpretation. You know, I'm so thankful that today we have the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand the word of God. We have the divine third person of the Trinity that helps us to be able to understand and then to live out the truths of God's word. And now... So verses 1 to 22 that we've looked at here this morning covers these kingly empires, kingdoms that have come and gone. We also get a snapshot in the verses ahead in a few moments here of the kingdoms that are to come or the rulers that are to come, namely the Antichrist. Daniel's vision, these prophecies concerning the Medes and the Persians of the Grecian Empire of Alexander the Great and Antiochus Epiphanes from the Grecian Empire, or, uh, yeah, from the the breakout part of the Grecian Empire. They give us a foreshadowing of the one that is yet to come, and we see this. These verses refer to a king of fierce countenance, who shall appear, it says, at a latter time. This is the Antichrist. You say, is there really going to be an antichrist? Yeah, there is really going to be an antichrist. And we get some snapshots of what he's going to look like in these other world r- rulers. And the God's word tells us there's over just a little over 100 verses dealing with the antichrist. And so God clearly wants us to be informed of this. So look at verse 23. It says, and at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does. And destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper until his hand, under his hand. And in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many. And he shall rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken. Can I get an amen? Amen. And he shall be broken, but by no human hands. This is none other than Jesus Christ defeating the Antichrist once and for all. Here we get a a picture is some snapshots of this. And again, here, here here's some things on the screen. This is from Dr. David Jeremiah. And, and you may want to take a picture of these or else we'll try to provide them for you uh, this week. The antichrist will be dynamic in his personality. He will be, have a mouth that will speak incredible things. He will be an incredible orator. He'll be able to win people over with his words. He will have smooth talk. He will be demonic in his program. in other words, he's going to have superhuman, actually demonic power. He will be, uh, he will be uh, demon-possessed. And actually, many don't even think he will be demon-possessed. He will be, be, be possessed by Satan himself. He's devilish in his power. He's destructive in his persecution. What we saw Antichrist do will pale in comparison to what Antichrist will do here on this earth. He will be deceitful in his practices. He will bring people in and then he will unleash terror on them. He will be defiant in his profession. He will be exalting himself. King of kings, Lord of lords is God manifest. But he will be defeated in his purpose by no human hand. He will try, but ultimately he will be defeated by the king of kings. And finally, he will be destined for punishment. He will be cast into the lake of fire forever. You know, folks, this passage here just so clearly tells us and reveals to us what we talked about right at the very beginning, that God's word is re- reliable, history proves it. It really does. You know, sometimes people say, and maybe you're even sitting here today and you're thinking, you know what, in order to believe in Christianity, it's just going to require a blind leap of faith. It's going to have to take a blind leap of faith and just trust that this is all true. There's nothing blind about it. Open your eyes. Look at the word of God. Look at the reliability of the word of God. Prophecy upon prophecy. If one of these prophecies fails, you are free to toss out the word of God. Because then it's not reliable. But prophecy upon prophecy And where prophecies have yet to be fulfilled, you say, I'm not so sure about that one. Just give it time. You'll see. You'll see God's word is reliable right down to the very letter. This is one thing I was was reading this past week. Just kind of blew me away. You you remember the four kingdoms that came, came out from Alexander the Great, from the goat? You know those four kingdoms that came? Didn't happen right away. By year 20, there were five generals that were fighting. Five. What does God's word say? How many were there? Four. So get ready to toss it then because there were, but you know what ended up happening at year 22? One of the generals defeated and, and Antichus took over and became the little horn that became powerful. And what did we end with, up with? Four generals. And again, you just see God's word is just unveiling in truth. God has given us a testimony. He has given us his word and has been verified over and over and over again through through historical and biblical prophecy. And it's 100% right. It's perfect. It's on track. It's on record. And it will reveal what is yet to come as being true. And so that means that we must trust the word of God. It becomes not an issue of blind faith. It becomes an issue of blind unbelief. If you continue to not believe in these truths and what God has said and what God has done but we can have faith and we can have confidence in the word of God and I trust even as we go through this that your strength your confidence your encouragement is saying wow God saw all this God God called all of us, and as you continue to study, we just cover. We could spend like three or four weeks in this passage alone and just undercover all the meanings and, and, and the historical and realities and significance of what took place, but it reminds us God's word is reliable. We need to, we're reminded that history proves it. But then second of all, God's word is trustworthy. We must believe it, we must obey it, and we must cling to it. Oh, I pray that you and I, that this church, that, that our churches in our land would be people of the word of God. That we would take God's word seriously. Not just about future events and a historical reference. But we would take God seriously in our own lives. As strength and hope for today. For whatever it is that we're facing. Whatever we're going through. Folks, take and believe the word of God. Don't stray from it. No matter what your flesh wants you to do. That goes against what God's word says. Whatever others want you to go uh, do or to say or to be involved in. If it goes against the word of God, obey the word of God. Follow the word of God. Cling to it. Obey it. God's word tells us that in the end times, I believe, I mean, just even as you're watching the news, you're seeing everything that's going on. There will be a great falling away from the word of God, a great apostasy, an abandonment from the word of God and its truth, a departure from the faith. And folks, we're seeing that today. We're seeing that over and over again. 2 Timothy Paul wrote to to young Timothy in chapter 4, he says, For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Folks, that is happening today, and it's not happening out in the world, in our university campuses. Well, it is, but it's also happening within our churches, within our homes, within our own lives. Oh, God's word didn't really say that, did it? Oh, that was for that culture. That was for that time. But God's word is now different. I heard this week had, and, and at, week after week, I continue to hear these things. And at times, it, it almost wants to give me an aneurysm, I, I think, when, when, when you just think of these various things that take place. I met with one guy this week who told me about a church and a pastor, not in this province, but in western Canada. Where the pastor took and threw down his, the word of God and said, we don't need to hear from that anymore this morning. And, he t- and, and, and basically set himself up to tell the congregation what he thinks and what other theologians and, and others think. No, we need the word of God. We don't toss it down. It is, the, it is the very word that God has given to us as his people. Oh, may we be people of the word. I hear of Other things that are going on and things that are being said. A pastor telling a couple who aren't married yet to go ahead and have a sexual relationship because you love each other. Go ahead and move in. God understands. No, what does God's word say? Purity. He calls us to purity until we're married. Heard of a Christian counselor. Told a couple, Christian couple, having some struggles in the bedroom to watch porn. To help their, their marriage. To help them in the bedroom. <laughs> what does God's word say about purity? What does God's word have to say about this? Don't listen to Christian counsel. Don't listen to the pastor. Listen to what God's word has to say. Be a Berean. Study the word on your own. Study the words that I'm giving to you here today. And would we be encouraged and challenged by what we hear and what we see in the Word of God? Oh, may we be people of the Word. May we believe it. May we obey it. May we cling to it. May it be milk for our soul. Would it give us give seed for our faith? Would it be a, a light for our path? Power for our victory? Is the Word of God that to you? I just don't want it to be a history book. That's not what we're just talking about here. It, is it your sustenance? Is it your strength? Is it your hope? Is it your guidebook in life for, for marriages, for families, for business, and how we conduct our lives. It was about seven years ago into my minis- or seven years into my ministry. I was quite young back then. Um, I could never understand or figure out people who were depressed or struggled with any sort of mental issue. I was just like, just get over it. Just read your Bible, pray, and get happy. You know, come on. And, and couldn't understand that sort of mental struggle that people would have. And if I was to be honest, those kind of people at times would irritate me. Just like, come on, get going. And then through a few just short series of events within the course of actually probably even a few days, I found myself in a terrible, terrible, terrible dark place. Lonely, hopeless. I masked it really good for a while. But it was in tough. It was during that time that Charlotte got pregnant with... Clarice, our first child, so excited on one end, but then I thought, I'm not going to be around for this little one. I'm going to be dead. With the way that things were going in my head and the place where I was at, I was actually starting to write out a little script, and I was going to do a little video for my future child because I figured I'm not going to be around long enough to be able to see her and enjoy her because of what was going on in my head. And finally, I broke, and I, I had kept it all bottled up inside of me for... It was a good number of months. And finally, one day, I remember in the living room breaking and telling Charlotte and just said, this is what's going on. I'm not good. And she said, we need to get people praying. We need to, get, you need to phone your parents, phone my parents, told the elders. I scared, I was scared the elders were going to fire me from the church that I was at because they had this crazy man as a pastor. Well, crazy in, in many senses of the words, I'm sure. But, um, but I thought once they know this, I'm done. And you know, I received nothing but love from God's people. I received nothing but a butt-kicking from God's people. And from one of the elders, when I told him, he, he had heard what was going on, and I saw him, and he took, and he had this, this was before big beards were even cool. He was ahead of his time, I guess. He had a big ZZ top beard. He came and gave me this big hug, and I said, I'm so sorry. And he said, don't you be sorry. He says, we're going to go, we're going to see healing, we're going to see God do a work. And, and he says, this is just the way we want, we want to see our pastor. And you know, it was my mom then who gave me a book. She says, "Melding, you need to get in the word of God. And she gave me this book. She'd given it to me, but I'd tossed it aside. I was like, well, I don't need this. It was called 31 Days of Praise. And she gave me this book. And basically all it was was scripture references that it gave you references. And the, the instruction in it was to write out the word of God. And because my mom told me to do it, mom, I did it. And I wrote out day one, the scripture verses, and then I prayed over them. And I was coming desperate. I was coming needy before the Lord. Nothing happened. Day two, doing it again, praying, and and not really getting much better, but I had a lot of people praying for me and and walking with me and and, and getting me on a path towards some, some health in my mind, and yet I'm writing out the word of God, and it was just like I'm writing it out. By day 17, the break came, and God just started. His word has become what I said. It became that milk for my soul, the seed for my faith, the light for my path, the power And the joy in my victory. And that's what God's word is. It is our strength. It is our sustenance. It is our healing. Yes, it's a history book. And it's a a, a book telling us about what is yet to come. But above all that, folks, we must take the word of God. And we must believe it. We obey it. And we cling to it. That's why we encourage you to be in the word. That God time every day. And then thirdly, God's word is clear about the future. We must prepare for it. Are you ready for the future? Are you ready for whatever may come your way? Look at verse 26. It says, The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told told us is true. But seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. Now, when Gabriel tells Daniel to seal up this vision, it's not to store it up in a box and put it up in the attic somewhere. He's meaning, you hold on to this. You take good care of it, because this message needs to be communicated to others. You need to remind. You need to warn. You need to prepare The people of God in the years to come of what is to happen. And in verse 27, Daniel says, I was overcome and I lay sick for some days. And then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Daniel was emotionally affected by what he saw. He was sickened by it. He was sick. He saw himself in bed for some days, it says. And then after a time of calling out to God, I'm sure, and a time of healing, He rose and went about the work that God called him to do, that God appointed him to do. Yes, it's going to get hard. Yes, it's going to be tough. And yet he continued. And just in the same way for us, whatever comes, we continue about the work that God has called us to do. We are called to be faithful and to be ambassadors of this good news. When we see what is going on in the world around us, and we get sickened by it, and it should sicken us at times, when we're watching what's going on in the news and we're reading the word of God and we're seeing this. We are to warn. We are to tell others. We, we need to let them know that there is a way. And that way is Jesus and, and, and Jesus is the answer for anything that we struggle with but also for our eternity. And Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you occupy until I come. You carry on. Use your resources. Use your abilities. Use whatever God has given you to leverage it for yourself so you get rich and famous. Is that what he told us? No. No, that we would occupy until he comes. And what's he wants us to occupy? For his kingdom's sake. Seeking first his kingdom, building his kingdom, using whatever God has given us to leverage it for the gospel, for his glory, not ours. This world will come to an end. It'll come crashing to an end one day. And all that we've done here on this earth, that is just for time and eternity, or or for time here on this earth will be burnt. But only what is for eternity will last forever. And we can have confidence in this. We can have confidence in the word of God that it's true by what we've seen here. But our greater confidence is is even greater than that. It's in the cross that we see revealed in the word of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Who not only one day will Jesus Christ crush Antichrist. But he's already defeated sin and death. So that we don't have to. We can have victory over sin and we don't have to fear death. Have you trusted him? Have you put your confidence in him? You see, Bible prophecy counts, points towards, or or reminds us of another king, the king of kings, who came just as the word of God said, and will one day come again. And that king came and sacrificed himself so that though he would die, that we could live. Have you trusted him as your Lord and Savior today? That is the only escape. That is the only help that we have. We can try all kinds of other things. It won't work. It's only found in Jesus Christ and him alone. Let's pray together.